The economy is getting back underway, and with it, so is the world of pro sports. You guys can stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering the developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, you can receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. That's two world-class news organizations, The Athletic and Bloomberg. So right now, you can go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe, sign up today for Bloomberg.com, and then if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you get a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. That's Bloomberg.com slash subscribe. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, band of 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie, I'm seeing it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a Brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard. Welcome to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, joined by Celtics B reporter for the Athletic, the kid, the god, Jay King. And it's the playoffs, baby. Celtics, Sixers coming up Monday. People are excited. We got some interviews today with uh, the Harbor Master, Brett Brown. Uh, Brad Stevens spoke. The Time Lord spoke. Uh, but the probably the most interesting thing to come out of it was Brett Brown revealed that Matisse Teibel might start uh, for the Sixers, which is just wild for a coach to say anything about his starting lineup. It's I, I, I was shocked that Brett Brown said something like that. Normally coaches hold their cards to the vest, especially a change like that, which could be pretty radical depending on who he starts for. And Thibel, like he could change the dynamic of that starting lineup. Now the Celtics have time to prepare for it. They were probably preparing for it already, to be fair. But every hint you can give the opposing coaching staff is something you probably don't want to do. I Brett Brown, I've always kind of thought – I love listening to Brett Brown press conferences. I think he speaks better than I write. Which is, <laughs> He's a poet. He's a natural poet. He really is a poet. But sometimes he just shares too much. Like he'll share, <laughs> he'll share too much about their strategies. He'll share too much about like his thoughts on Ben Simmons shooting three-pointers. I feel like sometimes he, he's just got to be quiet. It's interesting, though, he didn't say who Tybal was going to start for. And so maybe it's a, some gamesmanship. So now I prepare for him starting for a four different guys. Do you think it's any chance they move Al Horford to the bench and try to get um, some dual, like, like basically not lose the Embiid minutes as much? I think that's possible because when you look at the series, the matchups could be tough for Horford. 
And obviously one of the Sixers' greatest strengths is that they're huge and they get a lot of offensive rebounds and Embiid can draw free throws and Horford can obviously run some offense from the post too. But like Horford, who does he guard in this series? Does he guard Jalen Brown if he's in the starting lineup? Does he guard Gordon Hayward and chase him around screens? I just don't know who Horford guards and especially the way Brown has shot the ball recently. He's even tougher for for bigger men to guard. And so I don't know what Horford, who he guards in that starting lineup, but if, it, if he comes off the bench, then there's there's a, a better place to hide him if he's alongside Embiid or if he's alone as a big man. Obviously, he can just guard whoever the Celtic center is. Yeah, with the Celtics just having so many wings and having Daniel Tice, their 6'7 center, you really don't need two bigs. And it doesn't make sense to take any – uh, I guess, scoring out of the starting lineup if you're the 76ers. Like, you're not going to take Tobias Harris or Josh Richardson out. Um, I don't know, maybe for Shake Milton, but I don't know what the difference is. So, Horford is, like, the logical guy. It's just going to be very interesting to see what the Celtics – like, how they use them, if they ever go to kind of two big lineups um, and what the Sixers' crunch time lineup will be. But interesting that Brett Brown kind of revealed uh, any secrets when we're just so used to Brad Stevens who – won't in a regular season game refuses to tell like his starting lineup until he absolutely has to, which is like 15 minutes before tip off. Yeah. And Brent Brown, he's just like a day before <laughs> Days like, hey, guys, before. guys, guess what? Guess what? We might start Matisse tomorrow. And I, I do think shake Milton is, is another possibility. Um, Thibault is definitely a defensive upgrade from Milton and the, the number of good wings that Celtics have, it's going to really put a lot of stress on Philadelphia because they, especially without Simmons, they don't have as much athleticism. They don't have as much length um, and and speed, especially on, on the perimeter and, and Thibel. I mean, he's, he's advanced for a rookie on, on a lot of those things, the steals, the blocks, the instincts, all of it. It's just the question of like, how much shooting do you want to give up Thibel? He can knock down a three, but this is not what he's known for. And it's like, are you just trying to feed the ball to Embiid? It's going to be interesting to see because it's the type of thing where it's they might try starting Tybal initially and then it just might not work and they can. It's all about adjustments. That's what's exciting about the playoffs is you really see coaching and adjustments going in. So you know what? Maybe uh maybe Gerald Green comes back and starts Game Three and changes the dynamic of the whole series. I, I still will never forget the day <laughs> that Brad Stevens said Gerald Green was starting. We all looked around like. The reporters were all like, what the fuck? Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) And it worked. The Celtics won four straight. And it worked. Did did now. The Celtics actually did speak today. I think it was Jalen, Time Lord, and Stevens. Anything interesting to come from that other than Robert Williams shouting out Jeff Twist? No. No, (laughs) not not really. Uh, Sounds like a Brad Stevens press conference. Yeah. I mean, Brad, Brad has been really hyping up the 76ers offense without Simmons. He has, that is, that's his thing right now is he is just going to gas up the 76ers offense without Simmons. Obviously Embiid is a problem for the Celtics, but he is really, really putting an emphasis on how dangerous the Sixers can be offensively without Simmons. I, I think that that must be his way of telling the rest of the Celtics, like we got to be sharp. We got to be locked in. We got to take away shooters. I feel like that's that's his coaching tool right now because he's said at every press conference he's talked about how dangerous the Sixers offense is, even though the Sixers offense has been pretty <laughs> mediocre. 
That's just his way of telling the team, you need to lock in on defense. That's the way we're going to win the series. But uh, actually, you, uh, colleague Jared Weiss, and then the two athletic reporters, uh, Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman, did a complete preview of the series uh, Celtics, Celtics Sixers. And so we're going to go to that for the rest of the podcast. But then after the game, uh, every single game uh, this playoffs, Jay and I will be uh, with you live on Periscope after the game, and we'll be giving you all the analysis. So make sure to tune into that. But in the interim, enjoy Jay, Jared, Derek, and Rich as they break down the entire Celtic Sixers series. And Periscope won't be the only place to get that. If, if you miss it live on, on Twitter, on Periscope, then it will be in podcast form in your mailbox the following morning. Get ready for it. I guess not your mailbox, but no, it'll be your mailbox. on your athletic app or Spotify or iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So thank you for listening to this episode of All right, we are joined by um, not only Rich Hoffman, but also Jared Weiss and Jay King. They cover the Celtics uh, for The Athletic. How you guys doing? I, I I'm hating life right now. I'm in the pro- <laughs> in the process of a move. <laughs> I just moved my desk and my TV and had to take apart my desk and then put it back together again in the new place. So life sucks. <laughs> I mean, but playoff you- basketball is coming. So well, it's your own damn fault for scheduling it during the playoffs. You had to know this was coming. Yeah, I mean, who could have possibly predicted that the NBA was going to happen in August. This is normally my month off. This should be my month off. But no, here come the playoffs. All right, so we have Sixers Celtics, 6 6 seed 3 seed Sixers 43 and 30, Boston 48 and 24. Uh, I guess we'll just start off with you guys since this is primarily a Sixers podcast. Listeners are probably a little more up to speed. Tell us why the Celtics are, you know, where they stand, how they're doing and why they're a threat to make a uh, make a run. Well, they're not the Sixers, and that that helps. <laughs> that helps. That helps, so, man. <laughs> um, I mean, basically everything that they tried to do last year, they just needed another year to make it work, and maybe replacing Kyrie Irving certainly helps a little bit. But they finally have that interchangeable offense where they basically just run lots of actions from up above the slots, and they can do it with whomever they want on the floor pretty much any time. And their weakest link has been Marcus Smart, who is one of the best pick and roll playmakers from a statistical perspective. And for some reason is in the top five and pull up three point shooting in the NBA, which is one of the great anomalous stats of the century. That's so my favorite stat. It's it's of crazy. The entire time I've been covering the Celtics. It's it's definitely the most unlikely thing I've seen happen in my life, in any facet of my life, as long as I've been alive. And so uh, yeah, so that's why they're really good. Um, but obviously they can be exposed to their lack of size. And if they were to happen upon a first round matchup with a player that was really good at being big and dominating in the post, that could be a problem for them. And I mean, Miles Shayok, I guess, is a tough matchup, but we'll probably get into, into Joel Embiid a little bit here, I assume. I do love the Marcus Smart heat checks, and I also like sitting on press row. Jay is cut from the same cloth as us Philly guys that he'll just start laughing when he starts doing it. Um, There is nothing I love more than a Marcus Smart heat check. It is the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, we we don't usually have like the heat checks, although Korkmaz has had a couple. Korkmaz, yeah. Yeah, and I rewatched a couple games from the, the season, and in Philly we can see kind of behind the basket when he's running back and I've caught myself laughing a couple of times but 
What um I guess I'm curious. It feels like this Sixer season is a lot like the Celtics season last year. So much year. like it. Yeah. Um so I guess from from you guys who lived through that crazy Celtics season, obviously personnel's different, some of the contracts are different. Uh have you seen any similarities in how that has happened and I guess how have the Celtics recovered? Is it just simply getting rid of uh you know who? I, I think part of it was just getting rid of Kyrie. Like that definitely helped from a morale standpoint. But the Celtics last season were just so broken in so many different ways. And they had so many different factors that went against them. Like first, Gordon Hayward was injured and he wasn't even close to the same, but they were playing him a lot of minutes because they knew to be the best version of themselves, they were going to need him. They had just come back from a playoff run where the young guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, were the stars. And then they came back. Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were healthy again. They weren't in the roles that they wanted and thought they deserved. They probably had nine guys who thought they were the second or third best player on the team, which is not really a good recipe for success. You need guys to be in their roles. I think their their problems are different than the 76ers problems are now. Where the Sixers, I think part of it is fit and part of it is a lack of shooting or at least willing shooting. Um, where I don't think the Celtics talent or like basketball fit was the real issue. It was just like every other thing was wrong. And now, now they have fewer mouths to feed. They have young guys who have taken a step forward with increased responsibility. And they have Kemba and Gordon Hayward, two stars who really empower Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to do their thing, which I think has been really important. And yeah. also there, there's a magical curse that goes around the NBA and just takes down one team every single year. <laughs> and so this year is Philly. Last year was Boston. And Al Horford always seems to be involved. <laughs> Poor Al Horford. Like he's such a nice man. And <laughs> I don't think he deserves the problems he's dealt with the last two years. Although I do think he's part of the fit issues in Philadelphia. Sure. What do you guys think of uh, of Al? I mean, you guys have been around him on a, on a daily basis for what was that three years at, the, at that point. Um, he has been an interesting fit in Philadelphia. Yeah, the the numbers when him, Ben Simmons, and Embiid play have been terrible. He's been a little bit better in the bubble. I know, Jared. I, I remember talking to you when I was up in Boston in February, and you were like, you know, he's th- there is a little bit of him saving his. Uh, himself for the playoffs and and getting to his his highest gear what um what did you guys see from him like was it common for him to sort of struggle a little bit during the season i know there was like the average al moniker uh, a little bit in boston um i guess what what did, what did you what have you seen from him this year and is it different from what you have seen uh, in boston yeah, the the average Al thing was definitely blown out of proportion. Yeah. That was that was literally a, a former Red Sox player who was a mid uh, who's a I think a midday talk show host on the number two rated sports station that was looking to drive up ratings and maybe like ten people in the city jumped on that bandwagon. But it was it was mostly just fodder for Al's sister Anna, who I hope <laughs> has become a huge part of Sixers Nation because she is. I think she wants to like go back to Boston. Yeah, honestly. she tweeted something oh, about going does. back to Boston. <laughs> No, she definitely misses Boston, mostly because she can get into the clubs for free there. But um, the I think, you know, there is definitely an I'm expecting a bit of a playoff Al jump. But 
it's going to be diminished compared to where it was in the past. And I think the big difference that you would see in the playoffs than you would see during the regular season with Horford was that it, for one, a big difference was the offense pretty much ran through him in Boston, and that's not the case in Philadelphia, even, unless they're going to you know do that high-low entry play to Joel Embiid 100 times a game. you know He's not going to have the ball in his hands nearly as much. And so I guess the big difference was he would be pretty passive during the regular season. It was always about making the simple right play to continue on the play, and he seized a lot more control, and then also played with just like, a, he just played a lot harder. He played more aggressive. He was much more physical, all that kind of stuff. And so for him, it was always basically he's going to take it a little bit easier during the regular season so that he knows he can play for two months in the playoffs, playing at his absolute peak energy level without breaking down. And so, you know, we we probably will see a little bit of that, uh, at least in the first round. But like the, the main reason why he's not fitting is because he's no longer a 40 percent shooter from deep. Like his, his shot has just fallen off a cliff. And because of that, teams just don't have to completely stay home on him. I think, too, like when Al Horford signed with the 76ers, I thought it was a great, great addition for them. I, I thought he was going to fit perfectly because Al is a versatile big. He can play the four. He can play the five. He can guard. He can play offense. Like he, he does a little bit of everything. For I didn't realize how pick-and-roll centric he'd become in Boston. Yeah. Like the, the pick-and-pops were such a big part of what he did. And when he's playing against a closeout, He's really, really good because yep. he makes smart decisions. He makes quick decisions. He he can be the hub of your offense. When you don't play run, pick, and rolls, you're eliminating a huge part of what makes him special. And so I, I didn't foresee how much that was going to matter, and I think that's mattered a lot in Philadelphia. Yeah, they turned him into a spot up wing on the weak side elbow for the most part. That's just not what his role is anymore. It's not they're not playing to his strengths at all. They're kind of wasting what you know what he has left in his career, basically. He used to kill Embiid with those pick and pops, those long closeouts. Embiid really had two nemesis in um nemeses. I don't even know how to say that. Nemesai. Yeah. Nemesai. Nemesai. All right, there you go. Thank you. I don't, know if that's I don't right. think it's really Nemesai. <laughs> it's derived of the Morai. Nemesises. Uh, it was him and Marcus Gasol, and Al would, you know, the Gasol thing was it was mainly defense, where he would just body him up in the low post, and he, he's still doing it. If uh, if you watch a game the other night, but Al on offense would just drive Joe crazy with those long closeouts. And to your point, Jay, I don't even know if the Sixers have the pick and roll point guard that you know in the 2018 playoff series. It was Terry Rozier who was uh, yeah who was throwing those passes back to him, and I just. I don't know if the Sixers have the player with that ability to just get in the lane. But but Terry, like, he didn't have that either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, like Al made things so easy for him. Yeah. And and honestly, like, Al, he might have lost a step. He might have lost some on his jumper. But I think more of it is just they steered away from what he does best. And, and I think some of that is smart. Like you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like you can't just run everything through Al Horford, your third best player. But at the same time, like diminishing Al has kind of made him average Al. Well, I mean, not <laughs> he's only fulfilling you, his prophecy. Yeah. Not only do you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid's always going to post up a lot, but you also then have Shake Milton and Howell Neto as your sort of pick and roll yeah. ball handlers. So it's a. Even if Terry Rozier was a, a not perfect, it's not like the Sixers have a real replacement. And to be honest, Al started playing pretty well 
towards the end of the season when he was playing a little more with Shake in that role. Um, but now things are things are different, and Bead's back. Um, so I guess we'll we'll sort of transition to there. The Sixers actually won three out of four against Boston. What feels like a year and a half ago, earlier in the season, and that that what I think the last game was early February. So it's 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 been a minute. Yeah, February first. But really, it came down to two major factors. First of all, the Sixers defended Boston's primary scorers pretty well. Uh, I think well, let's what do we have here? Kemba Walker shot thirty seven percent. From the field in the four games, he only played three of them. Jason Tatum, 33%. Uh, they really struggled. And part of that is Ben Simmons. He's gone. And then also you had Joel Embiid's success in the post, specifically that one game in, I think it was December, where he had like 36 and six assists or something in that range. So how do you see sort of the Sixers being able to match up with the, the with Boston's scoring attack from the perimeter? As I, I guess just we'll start it off with like, what do we think some of these matchups, some of these defensive si- assignments are going to be now that Ben Simmons is out. That's what's interesting to me. Like, so interesting because now Horford's in the starting lineup next to Embiid. And does Horford guard Jalen Brown? Because Jalen Brown is launching threes now. Jalen Brown has become far more confident beyond the arc. He's going to be a tough cover for Horford if that happens. Tatum, there's no, like, obvious defender for him now that Simmons is gone. And then, at, but at the same time, like, Tatum, his struggles against the 76ers were real. And I don't, like, Simmons played a part in it. But I think a lot of it, too, was just that Horford and Embiid were really good defending the paint. And Tatum's not, like, even though he's gotten much, much better since a lot of those games. Like, he had a midseason leap that happened after several of those matchups against the 76ers. But he's not great at finishing through contact. He can be, when he's at his worst, he's, like, settling for bad mid-range jumpers. And I think Horford and Embiid can help force him into that or at least some of that so i think that's the danger for the celtics is if if they don't attack the 76ers well the 76ers are still even with simmons gone sort of built to to push them into some of their worst habits i mean i've I've got horford matched up on tatum uh, at the beginning of the game and i i think the reason why I think it's that one Tatum's play style fits what Horford can do best. Horford can still defend with his hands really well. And if you can get someone that knows how to hand check Jason Tatum without getting called for fouls, that can take away most of Tatum's penetration game and force him to be mostly a step back three point shooter, which obviously he can get really hot and he can destroy your team that way. But you want him to be playing that game as opposed to his drive and kick game. So Horford makes sense there. And then it's kind of, I feel like the the ones that make sense are Horford on Tatum and then Richardson on Walker. And I mean, Kemba Walker just, I think it was yesterday, was saying how Josh Richard, he like has nightmares of Josh Richardson guarding him in the playoffs when he was in Miami. So uh, I think that's a pretty obvious matchup there. So then I guess I mean, Shake Milton would probably be on Gordon Hayward because Hayward will also be running point a lot of the time, and Milton at point of attack makes more sense than Harris. And then you have Harris out on Jalen Brown where he can kind of help off him a little bit and obviously has to stay home as best as possible because Jalen Brown's one of the best spot-up deep shooters in the game. So I, I think if Horford can manage to hold his own and Tatum's not getting around him, then the matchups could hold up pretty well. It's it's dicey, though, Shake Milton against Gordon Hayward. Shake is, uh, I think he's played honestly really well considering what was expected of him coming into the season think like offensively he's a really smart player just cutting and, and passing and making the open three he is somebody who you can target on the defensive end and 
I've watched enough Sixer Celtics games over the past few years. Like JJ yeah. Redick was in for a workout when uh, <laughs> when they were going to play. Like the Sixers won weak defender. So I, I do think if Shake Milton is in the game, like we're going to see a lot of Gordon Hayward, and <laughs> Gordon Hayward is one of those players that Brett Brown uh, mentioned the other day can get thirty points on you pretty easily. Yeah, I'm pretty curious to see what they do with Tatum because it's like you guys said. I don't think they have a matchup like where, where Simmons, you actually feel really good with him guarding Tatum. Like it's like he can actually maybe even handle that matchup like he did in the four games. They, they don't have that on the roster. So yeah, like, like you guys said, I, I wonder if they're just going to say, Hey, we'll put Horford in. And if Tatum is making those step back threes that he was making, like in that Lakers game in March, uh, we're screwed. So, and, and just live with what the other guys are doing. I do think Josh Richardson and Matisse Thybul will see a lot of Kemba Walker. I don't know. Brett Brown likes that matchup. Yeah. Those guys, uh, there is a lot placed on those guys. The way the Sixers guard pick and rolls, it's it's sort of similar to the Bucks, where they they drop and they force the guards to chase over. It's a lot of responsibility on those guys. And, and when it's going bad, those two are committing a ton of fouls. And it's just it's not even something that I would blame them for. It's just it's really hard with Embiid all the way back at the basket if there is a player capable of pulling up from three. And and like you guys said, I think earlier with the Marcus Smart being in the top five, they have what, four players in the top like twenty of pull up three point shooting. Is that right? Yeah. Tatum, Tatum and Walker are way up there. Uh Smart, I think think just three. Okay. Yeah, Hayward Hayward's around like fortieth or so. And then Jalen Brown's not that good at it, but Jalen Brown's top ten in catch and shoot threes. So, you know, you're really picking your poison there, basically. Yeah, and it's why I think the Celtics really have a chance to go go deep in the playoffs because they'll if they play a team like Milwaukee, they have multiple players who can just pull right off that uh right off that screen. So that's gonna be tough. I think that's that's an important matchup. I do wonder if Horford struggles if they decide to change the starting lineup. I um, I just don't know Maybe if Matisse. there's like an option. Yeah, because if you play Matisse, are you going to stick him on Tatum? Like, I, I don't really think. I, okay, I, I at still, that point, you I still think don't. Tatum would get his normal shots that he would get against Horford, but I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really weird how one injury throws everything in flux. Because at some point, you were like, okay, you put. Richardson on Kemba, you put Simmons on Tatum, and this can sort of make sense. And they're still going to be a really tough team to guard, but this can this can this can make sense conceptual. You have, and it, it's it's tough because like you guys were talking about with the pull ups, that's sort of like tailor made to beat like the Sixers defense has weaknesses that they build in because Embiid's so good at the rim, and Celtics offense and skill set is sort of tailor made to take advantage of that. But you at least had the personnel. And now you're going to be relying a lot more on Shake Milton, a lot more on unproven wings off the bench, whether that's Furkan or Matisse. Uh, Matisse, uh, he really had like a welcome to the NBA moment when he went up against Kemba that first time uh, because Kemba is so good at not only pulling up off the dribble, but drawing fouls and seeking out fouls off of screens and off of three-point shots. And some of Matisse's bad habits sort of bit him real quickly. But you could almost see him grow throughout not only the season, but even in that game. So it would have been real interesting with Simmons. Um, that is certainly a side of the court that I think they will feel his absence the most. But yeah, it's it's this is a this is a tough matchup for the Sixers. What about Thibel sure. on Kemba and Richardson on Tatum? That's what I was thinking if they make the change in the starting lineup. Yeah, that's yeah. an option. I Richardson is giving up 
I don't know. It feels like a lot of size in that matchup, but yeah. he's he's scrappy, and I, I guess the thing you would tell him is just like don't fail because <laughs> yeah. and, he can. And, he can and get Tatum a doesn't handy. draw a ton of fouls, and it it's it's not always like like his size is most useful in getting Shane to over. his three point shots. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's not like he's gonna just bully Richardson. I don't think. Um, I mean, we saw it against the Blazers. Damian Lillard took that matchup. And actually handled Tatum pretty well and it, over a very short spurt. But still, I, I think like if you're physical with Tatum, if you get into him, he can be bothered a little bit. So I, I, I think that that matchup's one I would go to a little bit. I got a question for you guys. This has baffled me. Maybe the one stat that baffles me the most about the 76ers. They are 17th in opposing points in the paint. How is that possible with Joel Embiid and Al Horford? It's because they they funnel their guys towards the towards the basket. I mean, and but being, so do the Bucks, right? And yeah. the Bucks are the best at that, and yeah, they, they and, lead the league by far in opposing points in the paint. Yeah, it's the, the execution is not quite as good. I mean, I, I think part of it is the Bucks are a little more willing to help off those other shooters. Like, okay, the Sixers are pretty militant at uh, at cutting off the three point line, and I, I think some of that they have relax since the uh since they've gotten into the bubble not to any success mind you because their defense has been <laughs> terrible hey but since, they have the third ranked bubble offense which I mean, is I, I mean their offense has been pretty good they've i'm actually a lot of poor teams though poor defensive teams specifically i i feel okay about their offense right now i, I think where they're gonna lose this series on defense but yeah Jay, i feel I, okay about their offense until we see shake milton try to bring the ball up against marcus smart and then i will feel less okay <laughs> that's that's something that like is it seems like a small thing. It seems like you know, like a high school basketball thing. Like, oh man, they're gonna trap the hell out of that point guard. Like that shouldn't <laughs> happen in the NBA. The That's a real thing with Ben Simmons not in the game. Like they, if the Celtics try to trap Shake, he he might struggle to get the ball up the court. And I'm not sure how they'll do it. Um, yeah, they they cut off the three point line, so they put a ton of responsibility on Embiid. And on the the guy chasing the uh, the shot, I, and the other problem is when MB doesn't play, like they've largely played that system, it just doesn't work. Like they just get killed. And yeah, that's been part of it. I mean, it's been a disappointing defense all year. Like they they have the talent to be. I, I know the Bucks have been insane this season. Okay, so if not them, the second best defense in the league, and they they just haven't quite gotten there. So. I think that's almost more disappointing than their offense. The uh, so so the one thing I'm curious about from you guys because, I mean, we kind of already touched on the wing matchups. I think the Sixers are, you know, if if your best strategy is to hope Jason Tatum takes bad shots against a smaller defender and like tries to post him up, it, it's it's a weakness on that end of the floor for sure. Their one chance of winning is Joel Embiid, obviously. What do you think, uh, you know, Daniel Tice has had an awesome year. He, uh, he is somebody who I, I didn't, he wasn't really even on my radar. And, and now he's, he's playing big minutes for the Celtics as they're, they're taking off, but they also have Enos Kanter and Robert Williams. How do you think they will, uh, will go about trying to limit the, uh, the damage MB can do? Uh, just double, 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 and then double a little bit more after that. And so, I think we're going to see a lot of kind of soft straddle doubling down, basically, where the Celtics, I think, at least at first, are going to try to rotate the near guy down. So whoever's at the top of the key or on the strong side elbow, just have that guy kind of sit at the corner of the free throw line 
and try to just jump in towards Embiid at the last second. That's not going to work for very long. And then they're going to have to start rotating guys over from the weak side to really hard trap. And that's where I think earlier in the season that probably would have worked pretty well. And Boston's had some success with that. But the way that Embiid was just flinging passes from the left block on those hard traps in the bubble. I mean, he was he was nailing that guy on the weak side corner or the weak side elbow easily pretty much every single time. Didn't really have that many turnovers on it. And so if he's passing like that against the Celtics defense and they're really in trouble. And I guess the one thing that they have to save them is that they have so much length across the board that it's, it is a lot harder to skip past it across the court against them than it is against most defenses. Yeah, the, the Celtics have been really good at double teaming and rotating most of the season because they're so small, because they're so quick, they can recover quicker than most teams, but also they need to, pull off those double teams because of their lack of size. Tice is not like a regular post-up defender. Uh, he has to do his work really early. If he doesn't, Embiid's going to be a f- problem for him. I think it might be a Cantor series because, one, the Sixers, the guards, like they don't have enough playmaking juice to really, really punish his defensive limitations. Agreed and, two, that. his yeah. bulk could come in handy against Embiid. So I'm interested to see what the Celtics do behind Tice. Like I've, I've kind of been interested in that all year. Robert Williams has played really well recently. I don't know what he'll look like against Embiid. I, I'm curious to see. I don't know if we'll see much of that. Um, but that that's one of my questions about the, how the Celtics are going to guard Embiid. Who is that backup center? How many minutes does Tice get? How, how many can he handle? And then, like, the big key with guarding Embiid is, like, don't ruin your whole the rest of your defense to guard. Like you have to do at least a decent job on everybody else. And I think the overreaction to a huge Joel Embiid output would be like, that would be scary to me if I were the seller. Like you don't want to overreact. Like he's going to, he's going to have big, big nights, but you have to cut off the, the rest of the guys who I don't think have enough like shot creation talent to really kill you. If, if you do a solid job. You are selling Alec Burks really short. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, <laughs> my, many apologies to him and Neto, the two gods. Yeah, Alec Burks' line drive jumper in the bubble, it's like 85% right now. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to continue. I'm pretty curious, yeah, what they do because, like you said, I think it's a pretty good series for Canner. The Sixers, the, their lack of, of pick-and-roll guards and, and just their general style. I mean, Embiid is not... He can run a pick and roll. It's not his strength. He is the post ups are where he's he's really a difference maker. Um, and they did start Canner in the first game of the season. If you uh, if you can think all the way back that far, almost a year ago now. Yeah, that that was many many years ago. Yeah. David Lee to his uh, dream on Green. You know, I'm I'm curious to see like if Tice plays. I, I think his value would be more on the other end of the court. If you know he's not Al Horford, but if he can make a few threes and get Embiid even like a step or two outside of the paint, then that makes a big difference for the Celtics driving to the basket because, yeah, the Celtics have have struggled um, finishing at the rim against Embiid. And one thing I think we didn't talk about about the Celtics defense against Embiid, just sorry to cut you off. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) But the ball pressure will be a huge thing. Like if you can take a few extra seconds off the shot clock, if if you can make it tough for them to get into sets, if you can make entry passes tougher, and I think they can against the 76ers, 
then all of that matters in in what Joel Embiid can do. So all of that goes into it. And this the Celtics, like all season long, Brad Stevens said, our ball pressure needs to be great. Our ball pressure needs to be great. Well, in this matchup specifically, their ball pressure should be really, really good. And it should be really disruptive. And I still watch a lot of Sixers games where they're just missing Embiid. And it's like, I think it's an easier said than done thing. Like, that's a that's a classic old guy thing to say, like the entry pass is a lost art. You know, like it's it's, <laughs> it's harder with the way defenses rotate and how quick they are now. But there are times where Embiid will run straight down the floor and he's open for half a second and they just won't hit him. And and some of that, you're right, it involves the uh, the passer and also the amount of pressure they put on the ball. Yeah, and I, I think the Celtics, it's uh it's gonna be a tough one for Embiid because his uh you know, his his recognition, it it's gotta be faster than normal because they rotate so well. I mean, I just think about those kickout switches they do all the time, but I'm sure that's also the case on the uh, on the post up passing. But in in the bubble, it's kind of funny. He just he lets the double come to him and if he keeps the ball above his head doesn't really matter if there are two guys on him. Like it doesn't like actually affect his pass. And I think he started to realize that and have a little more patience. He's going to have to do it really well because I, I agree with you. I don't think uh, Tice or, or even Canner can, can body him and it's, it's not playing against Canner's strength, but I, I do think like the Celtics, they're not going to be able to guard him one-on-one. It's so funny how different the Celtics have to guard him now compared to the way they used to. Like they used to just let Horford and Aaron Baines single team him. And now Hell no! Like they they can't do that. They can't get away with stuff like that. And I, I I disagree. Actually, I mean, if you go back and you watch the Canner tape, and I mean, there were some plays where he looked like a complete fool. I mean, Embiid just destroyed him. Canner can actually absorb most of Embiid's post moves and force him into either some like kind of wacky spinning pirouette euro step style moves under the rim which are really out of control or face him into his force him into his fadeaway game which is obviously what the Celtics really want to do cuz that's when he's not drawing fouls for the most part. So I I think Canner has shown that he can match up well and if you look at all the guys like if the top 8 possession like it, by number of possession defenders against him be this year both Tice and Cantor are in there. And Tice actually has the best points per possession against him, but that's because they're doubling and forcing him to kick out most of the time. But Kanter is one of the few guys that gets him in single coverage, and his efficiency is pretty much identical to Marcus Soule's. And everyone feels like Marcus Soule is the Embiid killer. And so I think Kanter actually needs that people need to put some respect on his name when it comes to his single coverage against Embiid. Also, they needed Celtics need to clean up the glass. Offensive rebounding is going to be a huge, huge factor in this series. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting. If, if there's one thing I'm confident though, you brought up Daniel Tice becoming a shooter. He will make threes against the Sixers. I still have nightmares of Aaron Baines all of a sudden becoming a three point shooter. A couple of years back, he didn't even know what fucking foot to put forward, and he was draining them from beyond the arc. So <laughs> what Daniel if Robert Tice Williams just threes. drills corner threes this oh. series? As long as they look better than Baines's, I, I would accept it. But oh, they won't. No. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll wrap this up here. We've had you guys on for a little bit. Quick predictions and um, yeah, go. I got Celtics in five, but it's going to be a close five. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't foresee too many too many blowouts happening. I think it's going to be like a slug it out series. I just think the Celtics are they have too many good players versus a team that doesn't have enough of them. 
think that's a fair analysis. <laughs> a, ge- a gentleman's five. Not, not a gentleman's sweep, but a gentleman's five. Yeah. And uh, I had it at five and a half. And so I think I rounded <laughs> up to six. So I think it's going to be basically like the last series from a couple years ago. And actually, I, I didn't even say this before, but Tice's shooting is probably the biggest X factor for how quickly the series goes, because he's actually been a pretty mediocre three point shooter this year, but he's been a little bit better in the bubble. So if that's a legitimate positive trend, then that can end things a lot quicker. Yeah, I'll take the Celtics in uh, in six. I, I mean, I think they're going to beat the Raptors in the next series if they get past the Sixers, too. I just think that's. They're just a more well-rounded team. And I think it's funny in Philadelphia right now, it's about as fatalistic an attitude as there has been towards the Sixers in a while. People just don't want this team to play anymore. And I, you know, I don't think they're playing quite as bad as people are making it out to be, but it's been the story of the season is the problem is that not only have they underwhelmed, it's that the Celtics and the Raptors and the heat and all of these teams have shot up a few levels and, and they are playing really well around it. So yeah, I actually think the Sixers are going to score pretty well. I think Embiid's going to have some big nights, but my problem is just that I think like one of those Celtics wings is going to have a huge game every night. And, uh, you know, there'll be a few nights where, you know, the threes might not go in quite at that level for the Celtics and the Sixers can steal a few, but I, I don't foresee it going, you know, anything more than six. Yeah. No, I, uh, I I joke that um, I'll give the six or six just because they'll win two out of three at home. Are they that good at home? <laughs> so I will I will stick with that. Uh, I do think Embiid's going to steal steal a game, maybe two. Uh, I think this is a matchup he can have success against. The Sixers just don't have enough. They don't have enough off the dribble. Uh, they don't have enough. When you guys brought up Canner, I thought that was a great point because the Sixers aren't really made to take adv- or take advantage of his weaknesses. Um, so I think he will play a pretty big role in this series. If the Sixers just had, you know, I liked. I liked the Shake Milton experiment a lot more when you had a secondary guy like Simmons. You could put it at the elbow, you could put a pick and roll, that sometimes you could just put it at the top of the key and let him create too. Take away some of that ball handling pressure. I'm real worried about what the Celtics will do to the Sixers' lead guards. Um, if Josh Richardson was playing like December and January Josh Richardson where he was playing really well, I'd feel a little bit better. But he's not. He's playing... I, he turned on a little bit at the end. But by and large, the Orlando restart and really the end of the first half of the regular season as well. He has he has not been good, uh, and the Sixers really need him to succeed in his role. I don't think the Sixers have what it takes to slow them down. I will say Celtics in six. Um, we'll see. If Embiid plays at an MVP level, they have a chance, but that's a that's a lot to put on. I, I do feel like he's been playing a lot better off the double teams here in Orlando. I know they spent a lot of time working on him, on that with him during the... Uh, during the break. So we'll see it. I, I'm sneaky worried about what his hand injury will do to his effectiveness. Uh, that did seem to linger into their last game. If he's even slightly hesitant trying to draw fouls, or if he's having a little bit of trouble gripping the ball, this could be over real quickly. I'm, I'm also curious to see rich talked about how the fans are just ready for this season to be over. I'm interested to see the, the psychological aspect of playing in the bubble. Like, are the 76ers players themselves like, yeah, we kind of want this to be over too. You know, like they know that there could be trades coming. They know their head coach could be fired. They know after Ben Simmons is gone, like they're probably not going to win a championship. So I, I do wonder about the psychological aspect for not just this series, but every series. Like if teams go down 2 nothing or 2-1 even, 
You're just like, yeah, I don't want to get out of Orlando. I kind of like to go home. (laughs) Well, the good thing about players being worried about being traded is most of them have contracts that will prevent that, so they don't have to worry too much. (laughs) Tobias Harris ain't going nowhere. Um, That is true. On that, I got like three questions before you guys actually sign off, but I guess since we're talking trades now, um, do do you offer Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal, or do you wait to see how Jeff Van Gundy can recalibrate the offense next season? I would, if Brett's got to go, I would very much enjoy a Van Gundy for. Uh, the, he's, the, he's fun. Either and Van Gundy works. Those two guys can fill it up the the notebook. But yeah, I, uh, you know, obviously people are gonna uh, talk about trading Ben Simmons. I, I just can't get there yet. I, I still think he and Embiid, and honestly, like listening to Embiid's comments recently, like he's even in this crappy season they've had, he's just been like, "Look, I want to play with Ben Simmons for a long time," and. I mean, Simmons, like the shooting is just maddening and the fit is not great. And I think if you see, like, let's say like the Sixers steal game one and Embiid goes crazy and the uh, the perimeter shooters make all those shots, you're going to hear a lot of noise because that's just the way the Sixers work when one of the two guys is out <laughs> and the other one plays well. Um, I, I would not. I would still try and see if the uh, the Simmons and Embiid thing will happen and, and let as you said, Jeff Van Gundy or Ime Udoka or whoever the hell it is uh, figured out. I'd also love to see them with pieces that fit. Like an actual lead guard who can create off of a pick and roll. Like what does that do to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? We've or never JJ really Redick. had a chance to, yeah, a JJ Redick too. Um, but they went from real lights out shooters, or at least shooters who are willing to take them to this version. I would love to see with, uh, like I said, not only that, that lead guard to play alongside them, but also pieces that fit and we just haven't really had a chance to see that too often here especially this year yeah i think like the bills bills an awesome player like, yeah. the best they were together might have been when like they had marco bellinelli yeah and urson Silva, and, and those guys robert like, covington and covington yeah, and right? in a, in a vacuum guys. those guys aren't great like covington's covington's really good but like in a vacuum they're not great players but just putting pieces that fit around those guys makes so much more sense than some of the pieces that have been there lately. So I, I do want to see what they could do with a roster constructed around them rather than like just throw as much talent out there as possible and see what happens. But Yeah, they, they went way too far in one direction on the talent versus fit idea. And also they just the talent wasn't quite as good as they thought it would be too. So, yeah, they need look, they need three guys who can just bomb around them. And I don't know how they do it because their contracts that they have on the books suck a couple of them, but they, they got to try. And that, that would be how I would move forward before trading one of them. Well, well, we'll see see Smith getting healthy changes it. Oh uh, yeah. Then <laughs> I guess for this series, why don't they just switch to ice on pick and roll instead of over since most of their guys suck at going over screens? Well, I think I, I would disagree on Richardson and, and Matisse. I think they can go over screens. Pretty, not Richardson lately. Richardson at the beginning of the year, he could. Uh, they sh- he's just he's been in a funk since he got back. I can't really explain it. Uh, I would expect, especially when Embiid's out, I would expect they will change that up here in the in, in the playoffs. I, I would expect you will see more varied pick and roll coverages. I, I think, think you're going to see Horford up closer to the three point yeah. line mm-hmm. on a lot of these. And I think like a lot of people in Philadelphia would say like. Oh, that's so obvious when people are drilling mid-rangers and, and threes. But, you know, he's going to have to stay in front of these Celtics guards driving at him now. Um, I don't know. It's been weird. It's the it's the way they 
construct their team around Joel Embiid. It's a, I, I would say it's not just a Brett Brown decision. Like the front office is is very uh, cognizant Involved. of like yeah. instilling this game plan. And to be fair, like when Embiid plays, they're awesome defensively and they're awesome just in general. But I do think they need to change up what happens when he's not in the court because it doesn't work. And I think they will. I think for some reason, for whatever reason, they, they, they're very stubborn about staying in their base defensive scheme, almost irrespective of who they're playing and who's on the court in the regular season. Last year against Brooklyn and Toronto, they, they, they changed it up. I would expect you will see more. Yeah. Like if you're going to go down, at least try shit. Right. Like, like don't don't just have Kemba Walker drilling three after three off the uh, off the pick and roll. Like at, at least at least make him do something a little different. That that would be my request for uh for Brett Brown and Co. <laughs> or just like at least like you know coach enough and have your team be disciplined enough to handle multiple schemes based on matchup in real time, like most of the other best defenses in the NBA do. You know, like the Celtics, for instance, they're able to switch up their coverage based on personnel. They don't have to like you know call a timeout and say let's switch to this coverage. Like they all know if you see this guy with the, this ball handler with this screener, you're going to go into ice versus over versus weak. Versus a switch like they're able to actually scheme multiple coverages at the same time which is kind of what's required if you're going to be a good defense in the modern nba yeah and they've in the bubble they've they've started to go under bad shooters more and help off bad shooters we've seen some tweaks around the edges but the problem is they're playing boston where there's there's not too many of those weaker players <laughs> i mean maybe they could do it a little bit what what happens the when guys. the celtics do go into their bench though like if shemmy ojale or brad wanamaker gets on the court then it's way easier to play Horford and Embiid together. Like, just so much easier defensively to get away with that. The matchups are so much better. I, and, I, like, if, if Horford's just sagging off Shimmy, then that pain is going to be tough to score on, even though, as I said, the, the numbers don't look pretty for the Sixers for the full season. Yeah, they're going to have to eat in those minutes when, whenever those guys get on the court. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's pretty clear that they should be helping off those guys. Philadelphia high school basketball legend Brad Wanamaker, uh, mind you, <laughs> when when those guys play. But um, you know, it's it's not going to be a, a major part. Of Didn't the game. he dunk on you? No, no, that was one of the Morris twins. Actually, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which which one it was, but it was it was a hell of a dunk. <laughs> <laughs> was this just you were walking through Philadelphia and a hoop magically appeared and they just dunked on you? I mean, what's the scene here? I, I, I wish. Like, I, I like the phrasing, though, dunked on Rich. Like, Rich got anywhere near the rim to block the shot. I was, to be fair, like, it, it was. Hey, it, nuts it, are in your face. Nuts are in your face. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't directly on me. It was it, it was on my friend, but it was a uh, it was an alley-oop in a, in a Sunny Hill Summer League game that was like the Morris Twins just not even trying against our team for the most part. They won by like 10, just not even caring, but on one play. Again, I don't know which one it was. Like They look very similar, but <laughs> put, put it down on my friend Brian. It was it was pretty rough. Brad Wanamaker was a, uh, and I told Jay this before too, was an excellent leaper in uh, in high school as well, like a good dunker. And now it doesn't look like he can even dunk. Honestly, he's had three career dunks. Yeah. Well, he's like 50 years old. So that makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's aging very quickly, I guess. But at, at one point he could leap out of the gym. I love that Brad Wanamaker was just a high flyer. That's my favorite part of the Brad Wanamaker story. He just used to dunk all over everybody. Who would have thought? All right. All right. Uh, I think uh, any, <laughs> anything else? I think I think you said you had three questions. Um, I don't know if, if 
Brad Wanamaker dunking on Rich was the third one, or if you had another one lined up. I think I think my third question was which Philadelphia basketball legend is dunked on Rich, so okay, that should it. satisfy it. It's always a good question to uh, get clarity on. All right, I think that is a good place to cut it off. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, we appreciate it. And yeah, thank we'll, you guys. This we'll not fellas. see you guys soon, but we'll I'll, I'll slack you soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll zoom. We'll zoom. Yeah. Zoom press I'm going to FaceTime you randomly now just to, <laughs> just to make up for this. <laughs> well, good thing I don't have an Apple device. All right, have a good one. See you guys. All right, see you guys. Right, thanks, guys.